0: so good to gather today in the house of the Lord. So thankful that each and every one of you were able to be with us today. So many guests this morning, and it's so good to see some of you. I'm so grateful, Uh, some of you. Yeah, I knew Sam. I was waiting on Sam to track for that. Uh, It's so good to see all of you. Um, We spent some time this past week at camp. Thank you for praying for your pastor. What was the count, Ashley? 11? Was the count 11? Grace Covenant? kids of all ages 11 uh, campers were from Grace Covenant and uh, so it was a wonderful time good to see so many here this morning take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 139 as we spend time in God's Word this morning um, I have an update that I'll get, bring you at the end of the service uh, a few weeks ago actually a week and a half ago we let you know about a an opportunity to give to support uh, our missionary in Spain, I won't say his name because he also serves in sensitive areas in other parts of the world, but, and uh, he drives a vehicle in the desert, and shockingly, tires for desert vehicles cost more than tires for non-desert vehicles. I learn something every day. And so we put the need out, and many of you rallied, and we're so grateful I'll give you that update at the end of the service today. Today is our, uh, it, it's kind of our love life launch, but I want to preach from God's word and then give you just a little bit of application of what that looks like. And this thought that we were made for more, we were, made for more. We we're made for more, we were made for more than just to survive, we were certainly made for more than what culture tells us real living looks like, you were made for more. God made you to glorify him and um, sin has corrupted that of course we'll spend some time looking at that but we need to take comfort in the fact that our God has set the table for us to taste and see that he is good but also to enjoy the life that he has called us to walking in his presence our opening verse this morning was from revelation 411 I I saw some smiles from some of the campers because that was the theme verse of camp this past week as we gathered together and it bled over beautifully here I've never heard so many children memorize so much scripture it was such a blessing to hear but God is worthy and he is in charge because he's God But another thing that gives him the credibility to be ruler, according to Revelation 4.11, is the fact that he is the creator. Now, this is not really up for debate in the realm of reality and truth, but of course, in a culture that rejects the truth and believes a lie, it's a constant source of debate and conversation. But this culture of lying and, and being misguided actually started in the garden. It didn't start with a court decision. It didn't start with a, uh, this president or that president. It didn't start with the United States of America. It started with the fall of man in Genesis 3 where the serpent comes to Eve and says, Did God really say that? Eve tries to recount what the Lord says and then the serpent says, But did he really mean what he said? It's the same lie that you and I deal with when we're tempted to sin and to go in an act of open rebellion and hostility against God. When we lie and steal and cheat and and do the things that are normal human living, those are acts against the holy God. That's the way the Bible records them. The serpent, the Bible says, was more cunning and he was slicker than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Times marched on since then. The Bible and secular history are full of examples of large numbers of people groups from all different backgrounds and walks of life and their culpability to believe a lie because it's easy to be deceived when we're only looking out for number one. The Bible says that uh, lies tend to scratch an itch that we have let me throw a verse on the screen for you before we get to psalm 139 as i set the stage the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths now when i see myths You know, I'm thinking Chronicles of Narnia. I'm thinking of, uh, you know, all these fantastical places that were created in the minds of of, uh, great writers and authors. That's not what we're talking about here, but it's just as much a fallacy and fiction to believe that God is not the ruler and he's not worthy. And we wind up in this world that is out of sorts. When we reject God's rule, we're saying to God, leave us alone. We've got this. We can rule ourselves better than you. I'll decide what values I want to give to life. I'll decide what I want to make important. I'll decide how I'm going to live. When you reject God and his rule as king, you are rejecting truth also. Humanity is bent on turning away from authority and toward rebellion. We don't have to teach that to our children. It comes natural. And lest we think, that's right, much blah, blah, blah. Our parents would say the same things about us. Only perfect parents can demand perfect children. Ouch, that hurts a little bit, yeah. The same enemy that whispered those lies to Eve in the garden, Jesus upped the descriptor a bit when he addresses who this enemy is in John chapter number 8. You remember great verses from John 8. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, Jesus also said in John 8 to groups of people that were standing by rejecting God's rule. He said, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me, verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do what your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Our Lord, Jesus Christ, is engaging those around him, and here's what he's telling them. You don't love me. You won't even try to hear me and understand me. If I say something that's too hard, you reject me outright. You can't stand the word of God. Look at how you're responding. And because you act like that, you belong to the devil. That's your father. You want to do what he has planned for you. And he loves murders and lies, and he hates the truth and life. So when we look at our two ways to live life, There are two worldviews that kind of frame this. There are two blazing cultural forces that are on display right now, pretty intensified in these United States of America in light of recent court corrections. One is a culture of life and truth. One that embraces the reality of God and the truth that his word reveals. It's calling us to value all life showing us that humans are made in the image of God. To honor God is to honor life. The two are inseparable. This is the way of life and truth. The other one, though, is a culture of death and lies. This culture rejects the Bible It rejects God's rule. It rejects the true value of all life. And it embraces all of the lies of the inconsequential, absolute autonomy that we seem to long for. No, no, no. It's my life, and I only affect me. You can't tell me what to think, what to value, what to do, how to submit. I'm in charge of me. My decisions are mine alone. Nobody can tell me what to do. God knew, however, in his perfect knowledge of all things that you and I would be right here, right now. God knew that they would, there would be all this noise in our culture, a million voices competing for the attention of anyone who will listen, and if you've got an itch that's bent on you being in charge of you and nobody else, then there's a message to fit your own passions and your own natural bent toward rebellion. People that will believe the lie will get totally absorbed in the myths and the false narratives. As Christians, we believe that it is into this present darkness that God has called us to stand and point to life in Christ and point to the truth of God's Word with gentleness and respect and humility, but with boldness and courage that the hour necessitates. God reveals in his word that we were made in the image of God. That's that's your introduction. Each point will not take that long, I promise, okay? But let's go back through Psalm 139, the passage that we read earlier. We'll start in verse 13 and just observe some nuggets we can take from this that reinforce what we know from the Genesis account. Last year, during our love life, launched the week leading up to that I preached life matters. I handled that extensively. I want to touch on a few of those things again by necessity, but I want to address it from this passage. The first thing I would bring your attention to, it's kind of an, not really an aha moment for most of us, but we need to reinforce the fact that life proceeded from God. Life proceeded from God. The Bible says in Psalm one thirty nine thirteen, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. David is recounting his life in this beautiful psalm, and he is explaining the truth and reality as it is. The awesome God that Genesis said spoke the worlds into existence. The awesome God that hung the stars with the span of his hand. The awesome God that causes us to step out on a clear night and gaze up into the heavens and go, ooh, ah, special. That's just for a couple of campers this week. And look at all the beauty that's around this incredible creation to have our breath taken away by the Purple Mountain's majesty to look at the ocean and ponder the vastness of the depths of the sea. That God that created all of this said, my crowning achievement of creation is humanity. Not the beauty of the inanimate, but humanity. This same God formed us. He formed the womb that protected us. God sustains the universe But the apex and the apple of his eye is people. What a God. When I'm preaching this message, uh, if anybody happens to have clicked the wrong button and is hearing this in another year, it's 2022. And at this point, the science is no longer scratching its head trying to figure anything out. There's no need to spend too much time here. But let me say something because I'm just shocked at what's being passed off in the zeitgeist right now as like facts or credible arguments. They're self-defeating arguments. There's just no logic to them. But anyway, let me address a couple of things that science has already settled, if you will. We've, we've caught up with reality in our scientific discovery. Um, there's no real debate anymore in real science as to when life begins. If anything, science has done more to prove the pro-life cause that the unborn child is indeed a separate human being from the mother than it's done to thwart that. By the time the mother can even know she's pregnant, the child has already begun to take a form and has a heartbeat. It's not a clump of inanimate cells. That's a lie that leads to death. Do you see that? And if it's a lie that leads to death, it's authored by the father of lies. In fact, from the very moment of conception, the science has shown us, right, we've been told to trust the science so long, so let me lean into that for a minute. (laughs) I noticed I didn't say trust the government. Okay. (laughs) The science shows us that from the moment conception happens, that new human DNA code that is not the code of the mother, and it's not the code of the father, it is new, distinct DNA code is written that's a unique being. People pretending not to know this, or pretending that they don't know when life begins that claim to be scientists or physicians are lying. It's smoke and mirrors because they have a philosophical view that trumps the truth. Please understand, please understand that um, things that pass off as uh, truth and scientific fact on the pro-abortion, that's pro-baby killing side, that is not science that's philosophy disguised to be smoke and mirrors to hide the truth that's what the devil does he's the father of lies and he does it well and he's got a whole society duped a common chant among abortion supporters is my body my choice but that flies in the face of revelation 4:11, which we've already read and settled no it's it's not your body god is worthy because he's the creator and ruler of all things and he made all things by himself, and for himself. The science disputes the chant because the science shows that the infant inside the mother is not part of her body. It is rather a vulnerable, dependent life with distinct DNA who needs protection and care. Life proceeds from God. Second point this morning in this beautiful passage from Psalm, Psalm verse 14 through 15, life is precious to God. Life is precious to God. Life is so precious to God. David, reflecting on that, let's look at the text, says, I praise you, I am fearfully, I am wonderfully made, wonderfully made, wonderfully made, wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. That beautiful picture of the depths of the earth is another word picture of being in the womb. There is theological acknowledgement, big words here. Oh, wait, it can't. We have to pull our glasses off for big words. There's theological acknowledgement and biological engagement assigned to the person that is in the womb in Scripture, Old Testament and New. It's not a stretch on this one verse alone to affirm that the lives of unborn children are precious in God's sight. These littlest ones are endowed with full human measure and dignity extended to all human beings. Why? Because the Bible tells us in Genesis 1.26 that mankind was made in the image of God of God, let us, that triune God saying to himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Sheep weren't made that way, kitty cats weren't made that way, even though some of them need bottles, right? So there's a family in here that knows what I'm talking about. Um, Dogs weren't made that way, dog lovers, sorry to inform you. Uh, your dog is precious and awesome and wonderful. Yay. But I'm just saying this is said about people. People created in the likeness of God. What does it mean to be in God's image? Can I give you a few summary points that you would find in your study? I found in my study. What, where do we connect? Where's the overlap in the likeness of God that's distinct for humans more so than it is uh, actually uniquely so and no other animal in the animal kingdom has this we are distinct from animals by the way i'll come back to that in a minute here's what here's some of the attributes that it means to be in the imago dei ready number 1 we have spiritual traits humans have a soul capable of spiritually communing and relating to god who is spirit that's part of what it means to be made in god's image we have moral traits as God in His holiness has a moral nature, humans also possess a conscience capable of moral choices. You can train animals to respond a certain way by reward and punishment. They are not contemplating the morality of those actions. We are. Some of us are, anyway. Spiritual, moral, we have rational and emotional traits. Humans are creative emotional beings adept at rational thought and discourse. Again, I'm coming back to an animal just to kind of lighten the tension for a minute, but look, I come home if we've been gone for too long and I asked, I asked Laura about this. I said, tell me, is this the way it's supposed to be? Our Bruno is half, well, we're not sure half, but he's got hound and he's got lab and there may be a little something else in there, but We come home if we're gone for too long, and he will sit at the fence when we pull up like this with his back to us. And he's an outside dog. He's an outside dog. And then we pull up to the gate, and all my boys and and my girl, oh, Bruno. And he'll turn his head. He does this. He goes, like, oh, you want me now? You want me now? Now he is responding in a certain way, but he's not contemplating the relational dynamics of the moment. Dogs don't do that. I've met some that are very smart, but they just don't do it. We have a ra- relational or rational, rather, and emotional traits. We have relational traits. God exists in an eternal relatedness in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Humans can relate both with God on the spiritual level and with humans on the human level as fellow image bearers. We have volitional traits. Fancy word for a will. We have a will. Humans exercise their will with moral and spiritual consequences. Last trait. I'm moving off of this. There's so many more we could list, right? But here's some some overlap. Rulership. God gave humans dominion over creation. Remember, God designed this thing. Go back with me to the beginning. When God set everything up, he set up man as being in charge as long as man stayed under God's rule. But the first shot man had, what happened? We blew it. I'll come to that in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. Life is, or life proceeds from God, life is precious to God, and life is protected by God It's protected by God. In fact, doubly so in its earliest stages. I'll show you in a moment. Psalm 139, 15, and 16. Look at what it says. David says, my frame wasn't hidden from you, but it was hidden from others. Do you see it? God, you knew where I was. Others may not have, but you knew where I was. God had hidden him, but God knew exactly where he was. He was being made in, what does it say? Secret. Being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Here's how much God values and protects and how much he's involved in life. Watch this. He knew David before David's mama and daddy had a thought about conceiving David. God knew you and knew all about you before your mama and daddy ever met. God knows our days. He knows our ways. Nothing is hidden from God. But when the baby was conceived, God hid the baby in the womb because it's a place of protection and provision. That's what it's designed to be. The womb is meant to be like the Garden of Eden for the baby. It's a place where everything they need is there and no harm can get to them in a perfect world. The Garden of Eden that God originally planted man in was meant to be a place of protection and provision. Genesis 2.15, the Lord took the man and put them in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. But then that old serpent came. We're coming to that. Keep wanting to go there. They're put in there as a place of protection and provision. I'm going to give you a little note. I want you to draw it to the side. I don't have time to go there this morning. But in Leviticus, I'm sorry, Exodus 21, Exodus 21, God established a law code that actually, watch this, that actually values the life of a pregnant mother and her unborn child more than anyone else in society. Exodus 21, God enacted a moral code, a moral law that valued the life of that pregnant mother and that unborn child more than anyone else in society. Wow. God is concerned about life. So he set everything up to be perfect and protected and provided for. What's the problem? Well, the problem is our problem. Let's go back just a bit to that concept of sin even in a literally perfect garden, God, the Bible shows us that mankind failed by rejecting God as creator and God as ruler. Instead of ruling under God's authority, we chose to take matters into our own hands. This is rebellion. It's called sin. Satan whispered that lie in Eve's ear. It was something she, and the, the Bible says that they'll, if, you, if the passions of your life are bent that way, you'll believe a lie. <laughs> She wanted to be in charge. I I want that, but I can't have that. And Satan says, well, wait a minute. Did God actually say that? Nobody can tell you what to do, Eve. Let all of that go. Don't let anyone tell you no. You do what you want to do. You be you. It's your life, your body, your rights. You only live once. Lie, 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 lie. And what did it lead to? Death. Eve was deceived, and she made quick work, but very little work, and almost no convincing. Actually, in fact, she said, "Here, Adam, sin with me." Okay, jumped right in. That's not a man being a protector and provider that he was supposed to be. Where was he? Not wringing that serpent's neck, breaking it in half at the time. Because of that sin, corrupted everything. Humanity seems bent on rebelling against God's rule, and in turn, we damage ourselves. We damage one another, and we damage God's creation, the world all around us. We will lie, steal, cheat, and kill to accomplish our self-rule so that nobody can tell us what to do. And because of that, we are headed for God's righteous wrath and judgment. God's wrath must be poured out on this act of aggression and hostility. So how do we cope with that? Well, we just change the story. We re-educate ourselves. We create a system of thought as humanity and worldviews that attempt to make sense of life apart from God and His rule. Let's write God out of everything and see if we can make this work. How's that working out for us? It's easier to slaughter humans when they're just depicted as nothing more than advanced animals. Animals. Evolutionary theory is not just bad science. By the way, that's no longer disputed. People that are hanging on to that as factual are hanging on to that philosophically and not as true scientists. I'm not saying that as a Bible-thumping preacher. I'm saying that as somebody who's read a book or two. Evolutionary theory is not just bad science. It is dangerous philosophy. Even in spite of all this, knowing how wicked and evil mankind was in the garden, was going to be with all the bloodshed, was when they would crucify even criminals on a cross, when they would come up with crucifixion, even knowing all that, God sent His Son to be our redemption. God values life so much that in His kindness, He wanted to rescue us from ourselves. And the self-rule, and from the enemy. Isaiah fifty three six says, "All we like sheep have gone astray; we turned everyone to his own way." I'm going to break it right there and insert John three sixteen. But God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. And then go back to Isaiah fifty three six. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Life is so precious and valuable to God that Jesus Christ became a man to live as a perfect, sinless liver of life for the purpose of dying for sinners. Your life matters so much. My life matters so much to the God that created life that God made a way for us to live eternally with Him just as he designed it to be, forever glorifying the creator and the righteous ruler, the lover of our souls. But did you catch that? I said Jesus became a man. Of all the ways God could have sent Jesus down to earth, he didn't drop him onto earth as a full-grown 30-year-old man to launch his three years in earthly ministry. No, all of the salvation narrative and story pivots on that point For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin. And at the most fundamental level, redemption hinged on the birth of a baby. Tell me that you can hold this Bible... And read this Bible and worship with the psalmists and learn of this God that loves us so much and not value life the way that he values it. I don't see how. I don't see how. God's thoughts on life are so precious. The psalmist said, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they're more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. God's thoughts on life Human life are so precious, they're immeasurable and innumerable. The life of the mother who finds herself in crisis is precious to God, even though her family may be shunning her, and she may have a myriad of bad counsel telling her, in that baby's life, you're going to let that baby get in the way of No, 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 listen, your life matters. Mom in crisis, your life matters. It's precious to God. And it's precious to this church. My heart has been broken in recent days as this is what the message has been. Watch this. I'm not stretching this. I'm fed up. And I'm heartbroken. At a culture that would put on primetime television as news pundits on there saying to children that have been born with birth defects, you'd be better off dead. To children that have grown into adults In loving families, this crowd thinks your life's not worth saving. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that was said to you. For children who were born out of wedlock, you don't deserve to live. That's what they're saying. I'm sorry. If any of you happen to be in that situation, your life matters. Don't believe the lie. Children born as a result of rape from a heinous act, I'm sorry that they've said your life isn't worth saving. It is. You matter to God. You matter to us. Children who were an inconvenience deserve to be slaughtered. I'm sorry. That's not true. That's a lie. You matter to God and you matter to us. Some of the loudest voices in our culture have said, you don't deserve to live, but the God in heaven that created and rules everything is saying, you matter so much. I would bankrupt heaven so that you could know me as Lord and master and savior and sent the most precious thing heaven could send to earth, a baby. Jesus Christ taking on the form of flesh Humanity was made for more than this. We were made for more than this. When you see the news and are heartbreaking, you should be. We were made for more than this. We were made to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We were made for more than just self centered idolatry that creates a culture where it's okay for this to go on. It's not okay. In light of the recent court decision, the Dobbs decision here in this nation, I happened to post on social media, not a political post, I said, you know, my, my thought is let's make it unthinkable. I'm just wondering if our great-grandchildren will ask us questions about abortion like this generation has asked about slavery. It's immoral, it's disgusting, and it's unthinkable. God uniquely designed you. He uniquely developed you. He uniquely desires for you to enjoy Him and glorify forever. This is not a political issue that we're trying to defend. It is deeply theological, and it is deeply biological. Our pro-life conviction compels us to share this good news, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, with our neighbors and the nations, and we want Christians to be fruitful and multiply biologically and theologically. We want that to happen. Not only was humanity made for more, the church was made for more. And in this day and age, just to amen a sermon on the sanctity of life is not enough. We've got to show up where people are hurting. I'm so thankful for some uh, in this congregation that regularly show up. At the closest thing to the gates of hell, this side of eternity, the Southeast's largest abortion mill that's not very far from the South End, Charlotte. We have some that go out on multiple days. Pam and Edith go out multiple times. Flip Benham is with us this morning, and I'm so grateful for that. One day, some time, we've got to tell you a little bit about his story and how personal Roe versus Wade is to him. You see, he led the Roe of Roe versus Wade to Jesus, baptized her. She never had an abortion. I don't know if you know that. It's just the way it's been spun through time. Love Life, we participated in last year, and it was a wonderful experience for our church family, and I want to just give you some details on that. It's a call to action this week. I know that not everybody can do this, but Grace Covenant Church is partnering with Love Life, and we want to give you the opportunity to stand with us. So let's talk about... um, the need I believe is the next slide there brother if you'll pull that up yeah here's the tragic truth of abortion reality it's the leading cause of death in the United States of America not cancer not heart disease but abortion there are 17,000 babies aborted we're not talking about by the way medical procedures that's not what we're talking about we're talking about elective abortion where children are an inconvenience 17,000 babies are killed weekly Abortions are allowed up to birth. I just process that statement. Of the one in four women and men that have had an abortion in their lifetime, 54% of those identify as Christian. The likelihood is they've slipped off a church pew on a Sunday and that week sometime went and believed the lie that the solution to a problem was to take the life of an unborn baby. We can do better, church. We can create and help foster a a culture of healing and restoration, not a culture of shame and condemnation. We want to see folks know that they can come and be in Christ and be a new creation. Old things are washed away. Behold, all things are made new. Here's the reality if you're in here this morning, and and your past involves this. You know that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness, and the shame and guilt of that can be washed away. Hallelujah. There can be no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but how are they going to hear that if the church doesn't tell them? Let's go to the next one, brother. This is what our adoption week looks like. This takes a lot less time than last year because we've already done it. There's materials out there. I want you to grab one of those booklets on the way out. Whether you're coming with us on Saturday or not, guests, if you're here this morning for the first time, I hope that you'll take one of those booklets with you. There's a little commitment card in there if you want to commit and let uh, Love Life know that you are. But here's what it looks like. We Today, we learned. We learned about things today. We're going to pray on Wednesday. On Wednesday, I'm asking you to set aside a meal or the day, if you can, to fast and pray. We'll put out, you'll get an email on Tuesday to tell you how to pray. Our Wednesday morning prayer meeting that we normally have will be focused on this. I invite you to join with us. A Zoom link's available. If you can take your lunch break during that time, join us. That's how we'll pray. If you want to come to the church and pray, you can come to the church and pray. It'll be open during that time. And then on Saturday, we're going to go. We're not going to protest. We're not going to chant, we're not going to scream, we're not going to do any of that. We're not even going to counsel women on the sidewalks. They have trained people ready to do that. We're not even going to deal with the hostility that the pro-abort crowd does. By the way, if you've heard in the news that the pro-lifers are the ones screaming, you ought to come one time and see who's doing the screaming. It's not us. But we're going to get down there and we're going to stand and you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray. Every time a car drives up, we're going to pray. We've got prayer points we'll pray through. We're going to pray together as the church. Here's the reality. When the church shows up, the abortion count goes down. On Wednesdays, they're down 70% when the church is praying. On Saturdays, they're down 70% when the church shows up. And the more people show up, the less abortions they have. Crazy, isn't it? Imagine that. We're not there screaming at anybody, but they see somebody shows up and cares about life. Here's what's happened as a result. You can see some of those reports up there. Um, 46, is that the number? 4,100 babies have been saved. We don't clap a lot in this church, but that deserves a clap, right? 4,000 that we know about. I've mentioned some of these. I mean, the fact that three church- churches partner in this day and age is pretty stellar, but they've got 550 plus um, I love that next to last quote. Let me bring your attention to that. There have been folks that have seen the church show up and just stand for love and life and pray, and not only pray that these women won't choose abortion, but the church actually then provides medical care for them for free adoption services if they want to adopt, have the baby adopted, foster care if it needs to be foster care, baby showers if they want to keep it. I mean, we're not just saying this is about one issue, by the way. We're for life. All life at all stages and ages is precious to us. And 39 abortion workers have seen that and have quit as a result, and many of them march and pray with love life now. Now tell me that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ And the theology of truth and life doesn't have an impact at a dark place. Is the next one the video? Okay. When we march on Saturday, there is a code of conduct. You can't just come any old way. You're going to have to read that if you're going to show up. They're going to go over it multiple times because that way they can say, no, no, no. The love life crowd did this. And guess what the this is? Real simple. We just prayed. Not like prayer is a minor thing. It's the work of ministry of the day. Okay? Now, we're going to transition to our final worship song together, but I wanted you to see this as we close.